Welcome back. I'm Francesca de Valence. In this club conversation, I talk with Simon Shapiro, hit songwriter, musician, artist, and podcaster who has toured the world playing on stages with and next to huge artists like Banana Rama. Simon is also a member of iHeart Songwriting Club. We go somewhere completely unexpected in this episode, which totally fits the message of what this podcast is all about magic. The magic of songwriting and the magic of discovering a thread in a conversation or an idea and seeing where that idea can go. It's so out of the box, yet also practical, as Simon offers up some very simple tools and songwriting tips to writing songs. Even as an experienced songwriter, I know I'm excited to give some of those tips a go in my next songwriting session. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Magic of Songwriting podcast with iHeart Songwriting Club. In this podcast, we help you reconnect with and experience the transformation, the joy and the magic of songwriting so that you can become the songwriter you've always dreamed of being. I'm Francesca DeValence and I'll be your guide. Let it go. Welcome to the Magic of Songwriting podcast, Simon Shapiro. I'm so delighted that you have come to join us here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm delighted to be here. This sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So people listening in have probably experienced versions of your musical work in the past through you playing um, on stage with a band called Banana Rama, which probably everyone would know, um, an artist called Martika. You've played and toured with the band um, called 1927, which is an iconic 80s Australian band. You've played, toured with Simple Minds. So many incredible artists around the world and you've shared stages with them and played with them and sung with them and played bass with them. And you're also a songwriter that has written and co-written with uh, many artists. Some of those songs have actually charted. And so I would say you're a hit songwriter. And I feel like a lot of people listening would love to hear insights from a hit songwriter. And I know you, you you might be like kind of feeling like, oh, I'm not comfortable with that title, but I'm giving it to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll take it. I think as as songwriters, we, we take everything that we can get that's positive. So yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, take it. Absolutely. So I'd really love to hear your insights into songwriting today. You know, we, we've got so much time and I'd really love to make the intangible magic of songwriting something as tangible as possible. You know, I know this is only spoken word, which is not really tangible, but at least we can ground it into conversation and thought and words and and try to bring some of what is that elusive magic into our known reality. Because I feel like there's so much around songwriting that is so magical, but until you're really in that space, it's really hard to describe. So, you know, let's start somewhere. How how big a part is songwriting in your life? Like you're a songwriter, but you don't do it all day, every day. I don't do it all day, every day, but I'd say I do it every day in some form. And I probably have since I was about eight years old. So it's definitely become part of my identity. It feels like that to me. And I started out doing it because I would listen to the songs my brothers would play 
their records were Skyhooks Records and ABBA Records and Bruce Springsteen or whatever it was. And I couldn't understand the lyrics. I just would hear people singing, uh, especially if it was something like Iggy Pop, for example. I don't know what he's singing. So I would make up my own lyrics because that's what kids do. And I've seen other kids do that as I've grown up. I thought that was just unique to me. But it's a common thing that I think people do. You can't understand what it is, so you just make up your own words to sing along around the house. So give so, me a version of what oh, one of those were. Well, like there was an Elton John song, for example. Uh, it was actually didn't even have lyrics. It was his song, Song for Guy, which is that. Dun, da, 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 da. And so I just made up my own lyrics. It was something terrible, you know, about, you know, love and why does it have to go and that kind of thing. But it, it just went note for note with that melody because I thought there has to be some sort of lyrics to this. So are you telling me you don't remember how this goes? I don't. I don't because I was that – I don't. I used to do yeah. this to a lot of songs and I don't know. But what I did used to do, and I really can't give the example because they were usually quite uh, crude parodies of a song. I would mm-hmm. just make up in my little 8, 9 or 10-year-old boy brain, they would always be, you know, bum jokes or, or dick jokes or fart <laughs> jokes that I would – change the lyrics to because yeah. I thought that was hilarious as, yeah. a, as a nine-year-old. So I don't know if I can repeat what they were, but I, I know I used to enjoy at night time singing to my brothers who were in the adjacent <laughs> rooms and I would sing out to the melody of a song that they knew, but with my very crude or silly lyrics. I love that. Yeah. And so straight away, the creation of lyrics in a musical sense or songwriting lyrics became a fun task. Yeah, very much. And, and certainly not an effort or not, not something that I recognised as crafting or being industrious in any way, just something that was, it had a, a real function to make people laugh and to, to get some funny ideas across, you know, just to allow, when I was playing with my little toys, I loved playing with either my sister's Barbie dolls or my own little action figures. And instead of talking to each other, they would sing songs to each other. Just that's how I did it. I would have them sing a dramatic song and then the other character would sing a strong song and they'd have a fight and then whoever won would sing a victory song. It's like an opera. It basically an like opera a mini, for Barbie dolls. A mini opera. And that could come because, you know, my mum exposed me to to I saw Jesus Christ Superstar when I was about three years old and which was a crazy thing to take a three year old to. But it had a big impact on me just seeing these people on stage and it looked so dramatic and theatrical and, and it really it really imprinted something into my mind and I could see the people talking to each other through song and it just seemed like a natural thing that my toys might do that with each other. And so I was developing all these songwriting skills without knowing I was developing songwriting skills. So it's definitely a part of my personality as I emerged, you know, as I grew, that you know you take whatever you see around you and you find a way to to rename it in your own way. You know? I love this. So you, you've you actually arrived at songwriting through play. Yeah, yeah certainly. When, when I was went to school, I thought songwriting was something that only aliens do. I had no idea until I was about maybe 17 or 18 that other real humans write songs. I thought I'm the only person who does this crazy you, thing. Did you think you were an alien? Uh well, it depends how deep we want to go here. I've had a lot of experiences. Uh, I freaking love this. <laughs> odd, I've had a lot of odd experiences. So when I was very young, mm-hmm. I had a lot of separation anxiety, mm-hmm. So particularly for my mother. So my parents were divorced when I was five. So I felt this horrible sense that I would lose my mother every time I went to my father's house. 
even though my father's an, an awesome man, I still had that horrible anxiety that I would never see her again. So, and even when I was at home with my mother and I was downstairs in my bed, I would feel the need to, to see where she was and, pr- and protect her. Mm. So I, whether it was a dream or whether it was a reality, I would leave my body and I would go up and I'd see my mum asleep and I'd go, she's okay. Oh, my goodness. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So you astral projected. I, I did. This is, this is my experience. So we're, we're like five minutes into this okay. podcast and we're in a very interesting place already. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing. We that's don't have to okay. keep going. So now. people can call me crazy, but that's fine. This is my experience and this yes. is what I had. And th- that ability stayed with me, remains with me. I can do that. And as a younger adult, if I chose to, if I choose to, I can do that similar thing. Um, you don't have permission to come and see me sleep in the middle of night, FYI. No, and, I, <laughs> and I've never had that inclination and you're putting ideas into my head. Um, no, we're just playing. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So on one occasion I definitely felt that when I was out there that someone was talking to me and yeah. telling me things and I was in the backyard of my house and I was – with the trees yep. and these creatures, not human, mm-hmm. were talking to me and giving me wisdom and giving me oh. knowledge. Yeah. This is what I felt. And and it when was I, like it was it was safe. It wasn't scary because they were giving you knowledge scary. and wisdom, right? They're, they're beautiful things. I was the scaredest child in the world. I, I wouldn't get up to go to the toilet in the middle of the night. I'd have to wait till my brother would get up and, and follow him, you know. And yet when this happened, I was fearless. Yeah. Brave. So... It was odd, you know, that that very morning after that occurred, I got out of my bed for the first time in my life without waiting for my brother. I was about, again, about five, maybe seven years old at that point, and I walked out of bed myself, went back to the back of my house where those trees were, and and I could see the silhouette. There was nothing there. There were there was I don't know what cast this yeah. shadow, but I could see the silhouette of what looked like some kind of spaceship, you know. That's what my seven-year-old yep. brain saw. Wow. And I'm looking around. I can't see what's making this silhouette, but I'm, I'm seeing the shape of this silhouette in my backyard and I'm thinking maybe the trees are casting weird shadows. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Perhaps a scientific explanation. I, I wasn't thinking science, but I just saw what I saw. And later on I've thought maybe there's a scientific reason for it. Who knows? But it definitely was the start of me feeling more brave. And I think that's about when I started writing songs. I started writing these ideas down. So I said I was maybe seven or eight at that time. Mm. So you, before we started talking about aliens, um, you had mentioned that you thought that songs were only written by aliens, you know, until you were 17, 18, and you realised actually humans write songs and this is something that I can do. What, what I meant by the alien thing was nothing to do with what we just talked oh, about. Okay. It was more to the point that when you looked at uh, an artist on TV, so when I was a kid, we are talking a long time ago, you would have to watch <laughs> Countdown, for example, and you might see David Bowie. Well, he looked like an alien to me. Yeah. Um, and then you would see... Freddie Mercury. Oh, yes. I didn't know whether Freddie Mercury was a man or a woman. Or an I just alien saw or a this human. extraordinary person mm. playing, singing like like a god mm-hmm. and looking like not a human, just mm-hmm. dressed up in something. And to me, and that was such an amazing song, first time I heard Bohemian Rhapsody, I thought, well, that's not something that anyone can do. And the people that that were famous and successful for what they do, they, they seem to just be that. You don't you don't see the create you don't see what 
built them. You didn't see the years of David Bowie writing songs that weren't weren't very good. You didn't you didn't see the eleven singles he released before his first hit, hit which was yeah. Sorrow, that the record company didn't sack him for. Like he wouldn't get that opportunity now. But he released eleven singles that weren't hits before he got one. So you don't hear any of those. You, you just see this artist that's kind of complete and ready to go. So it just seemed like only very special people get to do that. So mm. I thought I was very odd that I could actually write songs. It was a strange thing because no one in my particular world did that. Only these really famous people do that and it's like it comes out of a box all finished and completed. That's how it looks. I think this is um, really important to talk about and, you know, something that I have talked about in one of these solo episodes um, from this season is that, you know, we don't see the behind the curtains, behind the scenes. We don't see the work that goes into songwriting. We just see the finished product, the the tried and tested product essentially because by the time it sort of gets to our airwaves, it's probably a hit. You yeah, know? That's exactly true. And the thing is it's partially because artists themselves don't want to reveal that yeah. because it takes away the mystery and certainly the industry doesn't want to reveal that because they're selling perfect. They're not selling real. They want you to go, oh, my goodness, Olivia Rodriguez is an 18-year-old girl who writes amazing songs and she's an amazing singer. And those things are true. She is an amazing singer. Yeah. And those songs are incredibly well written and sound amazing. They don't want you to see, well, hang on, she also, at 12, she was singing Disney sort of songs and doing this or we don't really want to see the 40-year-old songwriter that's writing with her and and none of that takes away from how good she is, but the industry wants to sell to everyone perfect uh, yeah. because that's what ma- it takes us out of our everyday life. We're not going to inv- invest in an artist that's too much exactly like us, you know. Well, that's what they think yes. anyway. And I think it's a myth because I think people actually would like to embrace mm. reality. I don't think we expect people to be perfect, but it's just a part of the game, I think. And artists themselves don't want people to think that, oh, I had to actually practice for years and years to be a good singer or to be a really good songwriter. They mm. want you to think, I'm just natural. Oh, yes. And Stevie Wonder's natural, okay? Yeah. He but does he it. Still but he's still has worked. He's a freak <laughs> and he's amazing and, and, you know, someone that a lot of musicians and songwriters revere, but at the same time he makes music every day. You know, sure, he's got a natural inclination and a coordination to it and a gift. And a gift, like a gift and talent, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't just, you know, be an accountant during the day and not touch his music. No, he's he still- is living and breathing it. And by default, when you live and breathe something, you get more confident in it. You get more assured in it. You get more skilled in it. You become a gr- a, a like a god in it. Really, you know, you become the greatest in your field or or, or versions of that. So when you live and breathe it and you live as part of your daily life, you're going to get better at it. And, we, you know, you can say that he's a freak and really naturally inclined, but he still does it all the time. And so he's amazing because he does it all the time and lives it. And lives it. So let's reveal what's behind this curtain of of this myth and these hit songs. Like what goes on? In the songwriting space, you know, we've talked about coming at songwriting from a space of play when you were seven and writing operas for the the dolls that you were playing with mm. and also getting wisdom and um, knowledge from other beings, otherworldly beings, and also seeing this amazing godlike alien beings on, on, on Countdown who seemed to have this sort of perfection around what they were doing or and, and uniqueness around what they were doing. 
How did you then get into writing songs in beyond, you know, your dolls playing and, and you know, how did, how did that evolve for you? I have this distinct memory of watching Rick Springfield singing Jesse's Girl, seeing it on MTV and going, just looking at it and going, that's what I'm going to do. Like um, in a knowing sense. Just in a knowing sense. Not, not in a that's what I want to do, in a premonition sense of that will be me singing mm-hmm. and playing a song that I wrote for people. Mm-hmm. So that was always, uh, and maybe I was about 10 then, and that was just distinct knowledge that I'm pretty sure that's what I'm here to do. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm here to to be creative, whether it's writing songs or it's writing stories. I was also writing stories, short stories and that kind of thing and poetry, but I felt like the music was the the thing I was meant to do. The carrier of those words. In, indeed, yeah. It's delivering whether it's a message or just being on a stage, it felt right. It just felt like that was, you know, it's just a recognition that that's where I, f- I saw myself belonging or fitting into the world. So I was already writing songs at that time, but, but I think at that point I was, most of them were probably still, you know, melodies from other songs that yeah. I was changing lyrics to to be funny or because I couldn't understand the lyrics, whatever. There was no instrument. I didn't play an instrument or anything like that. But at that point, then I started going consciously, what do I want to write my songs about? So from then on, I started writing songs. And mostly they were, you know, world disaster songs. You know, the Poison River when I was 10 was the most, <laughs> the one I remember the most, it was about us humans destroying the environment, basically. So that was a long time ago. I don't remember why that was, felt like important to me then, but it, it did. Mm. They were always heartbreak songs or the world destroying itself songs or probably because I was tied up up in that, still had that very much that separation anxiety and, and about my, my parents being split up and there was a lot of, there wasn't animosity in my world, but there was definitely a lot of fear mm-hmm. in my world. So I was just expressing my fear about the future and in form of songs. So it was a real release to be able to write songs about horrible things happening. I might write a song about Christmas being ruined by someone who comes in and, and destroys our house, for example. But that was a way of me getting rid of the anxiety and the fear. If I could write it in a song form, it's kind of gone then. Mm. And I can sing that song, but then no longer feel like it's going to happen because I've released I put it. it. I put it in the song instead. Yeah, it's released in the song. Doesn't wow. have to doesn't have to happen in the real world now. That's powerful. And mm. you know, you're you're um still very active in the songwriting world. You're still a songwriter, you're writing songs with others for yourself, as an artist, for your band. So how does this work now? Are you still writing songs about things that you fear and does that still work, that release of that fear in the song and you don't have to hold on to it anymore? I certainly do. I think I have clear intentions about what I want to do with each song when I write it. It's not usually attached to that kind of a fear and it's certainly not the idea that I'm going to write a song to change the world. It's more now very much just wanting to get out the ideas that I've got in my head and wanting to share more ideas with people rather than just keeping them to myself. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't feel like the the purpose of my songs is going to be to stop myself being afraid. Uh, look, and do you know what? And as I'm as I'm saying it, I'm thinking about some of the songs that I've written recently, and I'm realizing that I still very much do write songs that express something that I'm feeling inside. That just help does help me deal with that feeling. It's mm-hmm. more about just dealing with the feeling, and if it's out on in, in song form, then it's less in my body and less in my soul. Yeah, yeah, and especially if it's it's a disharmonious feeling, you you're best getting getting rid of that, right? 
Exactly. And if it is a harmonious feeling, how does that change? Uh, then that just resonates. It makes it grow more because you've got this little thing you've created that feels good and it says what you wanted to say and when you play it, it, it brings back that feeling. It so the negative it. ones, the ones that, that are perhaps written there to get rid of a fear or an anxiety, I don't tend to go back and want to sing or play those to myself. You know, I might listen to them with some sort of detachment but I'm more likely to listen more to the songs I've written that have a really uplifting vibe mm. <laughs> and I'm more likely to want to share those as well with people. Of course. Yeah, mm. I can really uh, align with that. So um, you mentioned that earlier that you were, you know, m- mimicking the melody of known songs with your changed lyrics. So to me it fa- it sounds like lyrics was your your way into songwriting but at some point you've had to create unique melodies so how, can you can you talk us through how you've gone around creating melody as somebody that maybe in, didn't intuitively, you've de- very intuitive with lyric, but maybe not as intuitive with melody? Uh, you know, I think that we tend to have one or the other as our strongest, you know, suit. I mean, you write amazing melodies, like a really amazing melody, so you're definitely doing it. But can you talk us through people who might not know where to start when it comes to a melody? might be listening in and would benefit from hearing this. Yeah, I think for many, many years I didn't even really pay attention to the melodies I was writing. I would know if it sounded like something else and then I would just change it. If it sounded like something else, I would change it. If somebody told me it sounded like something else, then I would look at it and I'd analyse it from a musical point of view and think, okay, I need to change a few notes here and there so that it doesn't sound like something else. But I think for a long time I didn't even really think about that. I would say... Probably only, probably for at least 10 years of songwriting, I had no idea. I I just wrote whatever came out. The first melody that I sang was the melody of the song and Mm -hmm. that's it. And I think I noticed with other songwriters, not only songwriters that I interact with, but even songs that I hear in the world, I think that's what they do. I think Mm -hmm. they, someone else in the band plays a, a chord thing and then they sing something and everyone goes, that sounds great. That's the song. And in almost always it's, there's interpolation there to a massive degree. Um, sorry for those who don't aren't familiar with that term. The interpolation is just the use of something else that already exists. And so I think most songwriters do that and they just think that's it. That's the song now. And that's what I did for a long, long time. I just thought it, it was the song, whatever I first came whatever first came to mind and that really is what comes out as a singer based on your experience I think as a singer or the music that you listen to and then how that interacts with the chords that you've played you know so as I progressed along I think actually to answer your question now that I think about it I joined a band in early 2000s called uh, at the time we were called Flight 404 which was a really bad name because (laughs) it was it was actually early 2000, just as yeah. 9-11 occurred mm-hmm. and we realised we really need to change that name. So we changed it to Jeepster, and, uh, which was a made-up word or it's a little bit sounds like something out of a T-Rex song, um, kind of. Now, the two songwriters, main songwriters in that band, I was their singing teacher and I, and I helped them with the recording and then they invited me to join the band as a bass player and then eventually I started writing with them. And, and these guys, they really analyse their melodies like so to the nth degree. So one of them, when in particular, he would go through his melodies. It was not good enough just to sing something and go, that's your song. He would absolutely go through every single note of the melody and construct something. And I, I was really impressed by that. He was much younger than me and he had, had very little experience in songwriting and yet he just felt he had to 
to do that, to come up with something different. And that really imprinted something on me. And I learned a lot from being in that band because he came up with melodies that were really catchy and really infectious and quite original. I loved it. I thought that's that's a, a great thing to learn from a young songwriter who didn't have any history, really. He, he just intuitively did it that way. And, and so I think that's what, from that point on, from probably the beginning of 2000, I really then started to, to look at my melodies with a lot more scrutiny and just say, everything that comes out, that's a draft when it first comes out. Now, is that a beautiful original melody? Sometimes it is, or, or, or is it not? Could it be tweaked or changed? So I always look at my melodies now and uh, adjust them where I feel like they could be better. I don't get stuck on what comes out first. Yeah, so so the first version is the freest and then with a different lens you look back and think, feel, is this, mem- is this memorable, is this unique, is this beautiful, does this – uh, resonate with the lyric, and then if if the answer is no, how do you do this? Do you like do you try another starting note? Do you move the shape of the melody up if it was originally going down? Is it just one note tweaks? Like can can you be more specific? I know we're not talking about a specific scenario, but yeah. Look, sometimes I will just leave an instrument alone and I just go for a walk and I'll sing and then see where the melody wants to go without that limitation of having an instrument that I need to conform with because in the chords might change depending on what I sing. And that, that, that seems a lot more free to me. Another way would be to record the chords that I've got, if it's a guitar or piano, and then just experiment with either guitar or piano notes and play different melodies over the top. Like bing, 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 yeah, bing. Yeah, yeah, like just bing, playing. bing, ding, yeah, ding, yeah. and just play them and go, well, that, that sounds like a – so then I'm, t- I'm taking my brain out of it a little mm. bit and I'm just allowing my fingers to find notes that sound interesting that hit in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are so many different ways to adjust the melody. Mm-hmm. I think the other other point is to first identify where you think it's not working or where you feel it needs to change because it may only be one or two notes that could change the whole thing. Yes, absolutely. So um, I'm curious, and I actually don't know this, even though I've known you for quite a while, are you a trained musician? Did you take sort of theory or piano lessons or really do you understand it academically, for want of a better word? I do, but that happened after. So as I started writing songs really quite consciously, certainly from 10 at least, I didn't get a piano until I was 14. So I had... So the first week I finally got a piano, I wrote six songs in the first week mm-hmm. and I think my mother felt really bad because she, she, kept, she made me wait, you know, basically uh, until we got, I got given an old piano from my great aunt and then all these songs that I'd had built up in my head but I hadn't been able to really mm-hmm. do anything with because they were just in my head. All of a sudden I could find, I sat on the piano and I found these chords and and could sing and put them down on a, on cassette tape as I did at the time. And so I wrote songs like that for quite a while. I didn't have any music lessons for another couple of years, maybe two years. When I was 16, I had music lessons with a wonderful uh, Sydney musician. Uh, his name was Jeff Lenham. His name is still Jeff Lenham, actually. He's still with us and he still plays gigs in Sydney. An amazing musician. He has perfect pitch, one of those individuals that has perfect pitch and just a really studied, trained musician, piano, guitar, could play anything. And he had just a wonderful work ethic. And so he, rather than write out songs for me to learn, if I came in and said, I want to learn to play this, he'd said, okay, will you work it out? So he really ear trained me mm. uh, to find the chords, to find the inversions and the shapes myself, rather than just being shown 
this is what's happening. So that was a really good training. And then it wasn't until I was about 21 that I did some formal, which was again, five years later that I did formal musicianship training. So I studied, did a musicianship course, uh, studied that, but I didn't ever do music at school. Mm -hmm. I didn't do a lot of, uh, but I've done, I, I didn't do all my grades at piano grades or anything like that, but I studied musicianship but you were writing songs. So I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm kind of just trying to ascertain your like academic knowledge of music versus your intuitive knowledge of, of, of where to go. Oh. And I, I'm feeling like you were incredibly intuitive and it just had having some people like your teacher and that course just gave you some guidance, but didn't actually provide any s- solid foundations for you to write upon. You're, you, you found that. Oh, well, I was already doing it before. So, you know, like my music teacher, I learnt all of the scales and all of the modes and, and all of that type of thing. But I was already using them before learning them. So it's good to have that knowledge, I guess, when you get stuck to come yes. back to something. But I don't ever usually look at it from that perspective because I was already doing that kind of stuff. I would just hear something and then try and work out how to play what I'm hearing in my head. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. I, I, I had a really, really detailed academic studied music background, like incredibly so, that it's for me I really struggled to step away from the, the, the knowledge, the depth of knowledge that I had and the rules that came with that um, around how to create music that to be liberated to write and experiment and event, essentially improvise, which is what we're doing when we're creating music in the, in the, in the mystery of, of that space of nothingness, you know, creating or, or everythingness and shaping something from that, that I, I really struggle to step away from that knowledge. And I'm, I'm always curious to kind of, uh, to understand how other songwriters and other great songwriters have approached their process, which is why I've, you know, I'm, I'm really asking you those questions. And I know that a lot of adults, when they come to iHeart Songwriting Club and we have a beginner's course, which you're one of the mentors in, they struggle with the thought that they don't need anything to start, you know, like I don't have, I didn't do music at school or I don't play an instrument. And in some ways, to me, it feels like if I want to play soccer, do I need to take 12 years of lessons before I can get on a field and play soccer? Um, you can just get in a field and and go as you go, you know, do it as you go and you're going to make errors and you're going to learn the rules and break the rules. And well, with soccer, I suppose there's rules and you have to follow them. With songwriting, there's not. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious, you, you get to listen to some people's very first songs. As, as a mentor in our beginner course in iHeart Songwriting Club. Tell me, tell me about what you're experiencing. You know, people have never written songs before. They don't have any musical training or maybe some of them do and come back to it. I'm really curious of what you're witnessing from others. Yeah, well, the first thing is it's exciting to hear the first song that someone has written. That's pretty special to be invited into. And it, it does take you back to, to remembering when you started out. So it takes me back to remembering, for example, I go back to thinking of when I first got the piano and one of the first songs I wrote was, you know, G, D, E minor C. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've invented this chord progression. <laughs> I seriously thought I'd yeah. invented it, even though it's been used by everyone, you know, it just, and that's exciting. So you, you're hearing a song from someone and they might be playing something really simple. It might be a two chord or three chord song, but they don't know whether it's complex or whether it's simple. It's just what it is, and it's it's that feels fresh to to me. 
it's also I, th- I think sometimes people come to that first song with musical knowledge and that can that can help them with with some rules you know as you mentioned before but it can also hinder them because they they're a little bit frightened to break a rule they don't know what they they're thinking of music as being something that's right or wrong mm. it's like we're driving around a racetrack and there is a, a particular path you have to go otherwise you're going to head off mm. into a crowd of people or into the barrier or whatever and songwriting isn't like that music isn't like that the rules around them are only there for convention so there's nothing wrong with a new songwriter writing no verse it just happens to be a chorus and that repeats 10 times, why can't that be a song? It can be a song. Mm. So well, it is. It's an AAA form. It is. It is. <laughs> it is a song. So why not? I think new songwriters just need that encouragement to know that whatever you've come up with is good enough. Yes. And it, sure, you can look at it as something that can be reworked if you want to rework it. It's, it comes down to choice. It doesn't come down to pleasing your mentor. It doesn't come down to pleasing the other people in your songwriting group or pleasing your partner or your children or your parents who you might play the song. It comes down to pleasing yourself first. There's literally no point in being, you know, Bruce Springsteen and playing to millions of people around the world if you hate your own songs. Mm. Like, who would want to be a famous or a successful performer who hates their own songs, literally hates them. What what kind of a life is that? I don't know. Certainly not one that I want. So don't you first need to love what you have created and believe in it. It's got to start from that point. Yes. So I want to nurture that belief in people that what you're creating is expressing something for you. Let's start with that first. Let's start with, with you believing that your ideas are good enough. What comes out is good enough. It doesn't mean you can't change them and make them better to your ears and better to to what your purpose is. But let's find your purpose. Let's find what pleases you about songs. Mm. But that's not to say that it's all esoteric feedback. You're actually giving, you know, um, specific technical, for want of a better word, or guidance around the musicality and the lyric. And so, how might you use giving feedback in a specific way like that to help them to achieve a song that they love and help them to achieve a purpose that aligns with them for their song, you know, by giving them specific musical fe- feedback? Yeah. Well, being an audience member is slightly different to being, say, a mentor. Mm-hmm. So those are, are two different things, but you're kind of both. So when you are mentoring, you are both an audience member. I'm listening to the song as a listener, but I'm also listening to guide someone to perhaps work their idea to its best form, to the the form that is going to achieve the purpose that they want. So I will always try and understand what that purpose is and then see technically what can I offer that might help them bring that to life. It might be that, hey, this is a great idea you've written it all in minor chords and the song's really happy. Mm. So I would suggest if it was my song and I wanted to write an uplifting song, I probably wouldn't use any minor chords. Mm. Maybe there might be one odd minor chord in there, but mostly why don't we try the whole thing and make it major chords, just mm. see what that does. Mm-hmm. Or how about how about making it, you know, giving it a 6-8 a feel, you've written it in 4-4 four, four, and this song feels really little. Like it wants to lilt and and swing because it's about being a child and playing. So maybe try putting that in six, eight or three, four and seeing what that does to the feel of the song. Yeah. So those are the technical type of things. Or, for example, you've got a great idea. This idea is perfect. What I find often in songs that really connect with people, 
The chorus is usually a simple. The chorus usually sums up what the song's about and the verses usually give the detail or the story. So if you want to redraft this, can you fit some of this detail you put in the chorus? Can we put that detail in your verse? And can we put some of these things you've written in the verse that are really summing up the story? Can we put those in the chorus? Can we reverse that, you know, and see what that feels like? So I'm just going to offer those suggestions to people as I do in my regular group as well. So it's, it's never saying this is right or this is wrong. It's only ever this is how I'm experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want you to hit the mark with with how you want your listeners to experience it. Mm. So I'm one listener and this is how I'm experiencing it. And as a songwriter, I can offer you how I would do it to try and hit my listeners with, mm. with my intention. So there's a lot of technical things. Songwriting is both a, a skill but it's also an intuition. So you want to mix up the both. You don't want to ever get stuck in the technical side of, of chords and notes, but you also want to use those when – you're at a point of crafting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you, Simon, approach your songwriting practice? So you've been writing songs in iHeart Songwriting Club for over 100 songs, so over 100 yeah. weeks. Congrats on your centenary of songs in the club. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, how do you approach this intuition skill balance? And, yeah, can you share more about your songwriting practice now? Yeah, well, thanks to the club I have a much – more effective songwriting practice than I ever had. Obviously by the fact that in the last 104 weeks I've written 104 songs and I certainly can't say that at any other stage in my life. So I haven't written out what my songwriting practice is but I feel it goes something like this. Allotting a particular point in time where I can do it, where there is space to do it is really important. Mm -hmm. So whether that's because the way the club works, because you have a limited time, that's a really good thing because you can, because then you only have to find an hour in your weekly routine. Let's face it, everyone is so super busy, crazy in their lives at the moment. Uh, I'm not special like that, but I definitely feel it. So to find an hour is even hard. So if I'm thinking a song is going to take 12 hours, then it's, it's virtually impossible. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So to say to myself, I'll find an hour, then that's a really good thing. So for example, next year, I've already looked into next year and I'm looking at the days that I know I've got a couple of mornings to myself. One of those for Friday morning is songwriting time. So I've got, I've got that hour between nine and 10, I'm going to write on a Friday morning from say, once kids go back to school. After end of January, that's going to be my songwriting time on a Friday morning and I've got that one hour there. There's also some leeway because I don't like getting stuck on a – I don't like getting to an hour and going, I'm so close, (laughs) I'm not going to just stop here. If I've got an extra half an hour, I'll I'll keep going. So structuring that time is really important. Then the thing I've learned is when – when I get a task, when I get an idea, not to overthink it, the very first idea that comes to me, I'm going to go with that. So I've almost always found that the first idea that comes to me is going to work. It very rarely doesn't. I'd say in the 104 songs I've written, I probably said, no, no, I don't like that first idea. I'm going to keep trying to find another one a few times. And then it usually, I usually get stuck. Yeah. And then it takes a few weeks. (laughs) I don't get it in in time. And and I'm not entirely happy with what I ended up with, you know. Wait, can, I, we need to unpack this. I've talked about this in an episode because I think this is really powerful. Follow the very first idea that you have and uncover where it goes because who's to say that the first idea, like it's all a mystery, right? It's all a mystery. So if we're not attached to what we make, what does it matter what we do with the first idea? Keep discovering where it leads you 
And if you abandon it, what, what does that say? It means you're judging it. What does you've that mean you're going to do about the next idea? Okay, you've judged it? it. Yeah, you've judged it too early. And judgment's important. Like being, I think, I don't believe in dismissing your inner critic. I think your inner critic is really important to help you craft a song, but not very important at all. In fact, completely unhelpful to start a song. So mm-hmm. what I've learned is to turn that person off, to turn that silly, um, nasty, you know, destructive kind of voice off at the start, but allow that, that person to come back in when I'm, finalizing something because they will say you can't say that that doesn't make sense Mm. you know there's you being a an illiterate person again okay well I'll take that advice now that I'm finalizing the lyric but I don't want to hear that voice when I'm at the beginning so Mm. I have learned to shut that off completely typically when you know the task comes to me and I see the title of a task I I often just sing something and bang a first line is boom that sounds good that sounds okay we're going to go with that see where it leads as you said you don't know where it leads until you, until you go down that path. So don't dismiss it just because you didn't like the line. You didn't like it as, as it first comes out. Occasionally I've done it for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, and I've gone, this is really going nowhere. And I absolutely hate it. Mm. Usually I would, I might actually start again the next day if I've got the opportunity to, if I just find like it was nothing. But most that doesn't happen very often. Mm. Most of the time something will happen in that first 20 minutes that goes, Ah, I've got it. Okay, mm-hmm. I know where, why this came through now, and now the idea is clear to me. It didn't. It wasn't clear to start with. Mm. So let's go back just one step. Okay, you've done this for thirty minutes, and you're finding this is going nowhere, and I hate it. To me, that's like a. It, you, it's a delayed, delayed um, judgment and a, a delayed version of what can happen in that first five minutes. Um, have you just decided? Well. I appreciate this has gone nowhere and I appreciate I don't like this and yet here's my finished song. Yeah, absolutely. I've done that. And how does that feel to kind of go, I tie a bow on this, it's finished and I'm leaving it behind? It's it's good to get it out of the way. I've got to be honest, like in the hundred, I don't, I'm not one of these songwriters that goes back to my songs and goes, oh, I don't like that idea. I don't like that. I even listen to ideas I wrote 15 years ago that I've, I found on my computer that I don't even remember even writing. And I go, oh, wow, I like that. I don't usually finish a song unless I think there's some value in it. Right. Okay. So it, I always find it strange when people type, I really hate this song that I wrote. I find that odd. I really find it odd. I'd- to be fair, as somebody who gets an insight to your songs every week. I've said it sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> you have. You said it in your – we we are coining you as the creator of the word song explanation in the club. <laughs> And, and you know, our group, so Simon is in my I Heart Songwriting Club group and I've heard every one of those 104 songs. Some of those you've said you've voiced a conflict within yourself around. Now, you've also said I don't see the point of finishing the song unless there is a, a value. I may have paraphrased that, but I feel like there was a value in finishing it. I believe there's a value in finishing things that you don't like mm. so that – you're not beating yourself up so that you're learning to detach from from that. And I feel you've done that. But, I mean, I suppose it's just not the predominant way you go about things because you are quite an experienced songwriter. So you're, you know, I know from, you know, overwriting over 500 songs, like most of what I write is very palatable. Most of what I write now is actually, well, I like that. I like that. I like that. But it was not like that for the first 200 songs. Not at all. I would be lucky to like one out of 10 songs, one out of 20 songs. 
See, that, that, that I find, I don't find strange, but that I don't relate to because uh-huh. from, for me right from the beginning, every song I wrote was my best song. Every, wow. every song I thought this is my new best song, but I would only write a few a year. You know, oh, but yeah. I might write six or ten because the ones that I didn't feel like that, you I didn't finish. finish them. I okay. wouldn't do it because I go, no, this is not worth doing. Okay. But this is. I'm doing this one and I put a lot of time into them. Uh-huh. The good thing about writing a song every single week is that you don't, you don't have to write your, your best song this week. You don't feel that expectation or that need that this song has to go on my record or it has to be good enough to send to, to a, a publisher or an artist. No, it's another week and it's another song. It can be whatever it wants to be or whatever is coming out. And that is liberating. It's liberating to not feel so attached to the outcome. And I used to feel like my songs, because I only write six a year, that if it wasn't amazing, then I'm not amazing. Whereas now I go, well, I'm going to write at least 60 songs this year. So I, I don't care if people don't like 50 that, of them. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're going from writing six songs a year to 60 songs a year, yeah. finished songs. Mm. How, what is, what's changed for you? Like what's different around that, you know, besides having 54 more songs? Well, the big thing is that it's enabled me to have collections of songs that fit together. One of the things about writing songs that when you write only a few songs is that, for example, it took me, you know, well, maybe four decades to write one album, you know, to find a collection. I remember going to a publisher with a song I wrote in my early 20s that everyone heard it and said, look, this is, well, this is your hit song or this is whatever, this is a powerful song. And several publishers said, this is a great song. You need another six like this or 10 like this. And, you know, this is in the day when you had to have a record deal, basically. So you need another certain number of songs like this to get a record deal, you know. So that became an obsession. And I'm not going to, I wasn't writing songs like that all the time. So it took me 10 years to write 10 songs that I I thought were as good as that. Yeah. Uh, So writing a song every single week means your chances of coming up with those songs are so much greater. Uh, And I do write songs, like, as you know, I, I have multiple personalities as a songwriter. Yes, we so, want to go there. I want to go there. So I do write songs for a lot of different, in a lot of different sort of pockets and being in the club has meant now I've got an album worth of songs for about four different artists that to so, me seem quite different. So tell me, so, so, so you have changed your name in the club multiple times, the different pseudonyms. Has anyone else ever done that? Um, I think people just maybe, you know, because you don't need to use your real name as your username in iHeart Songwriting Club. Anyone can put any name there. So some people use their artist name, different to their song, their real name. And then some people, you know, use a sh- I use FTV because Francesca de Valence is just, you know, like too many words, too many letters. And I like FTV. It's fun and it's light and, you know, I get to be my light version of myself there. But I'm not hiding who I am. But some people choose to use a pseudonym because they want to show up know maybe they're a bit famous or something and they want to show up anonymously and that's fine they can do that but you're doing this for a different reason you're you're changing your name can you can you go through that so you've had different iterations of Simon Shapiro was the first person that showed up in the club and then it changed I think it was Simon Sings the first one it was Simon Sings I put in there rather than Simon Says yeah I don't think I've ever been Simon Shapiro in the club I think it was no I don't think I have I think I was Simon Sings to start with uh, so writing songs for Simon Sings as an artist or no a, writing songs character. for just writing songs. Just I was thinking songs. about Simon Shapiro, but but like I did didn't want to put my name in because I wasn't sure who was in the group. Yeah, and I didn't want people to judge me and go look me up and then go, 
who is this person and because I have done some things. Totally I didn't, fair enough. I didn't want anyone to, to feel like they needed to like sugarcoat any feedback to me because they think, oh, he's, a, he's an experienced songwriter and he's, that can be sometimes intimidating for another songwriter because I, mm-hmm. I, some of the songwriters in the group when I first joined were, to me, I think they were kind of younger songwriters who were coming through and I didn't want to give them any sort of feeling that That's I was more experienced or that they might. How would you know about their age? No, totally guessing, <laughs> just basing on their voice and also basing on just the type of songs that they're writing. It just seemed that they, there was a, some writers who hadn't written as much or didn't seem as confident in their writing. And I wanted to nurture their confidence as well and not come across as someone who's written for for people that have charted or whatever. And, and so I, I didn't want to be, also didn't want to be judged in that, in that way. Yeah. I wanted to be just judged for the songs that I was writing, quite honestly, because that feedback is so important. You don't get it. And for years and years, feedback on my songwriting, I took used to take personally and, and get hurt by and not take good advice. And so I really wanted to learn to take good advice. Um, so I think removing my own name just was just one layer of... of um, detachment. Detachment from it. So people are just, they're commenting on Simon Sings, who isn't quite Simon Shapiro. So I can take that a little bit less personally, you know. So I did that to start with. And then I realised in the first couple of terms, I had these different different styles emerging. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe... Elk Sonder was born. Yeah, Elk Sonder was the first one that came out. I, you know, I do this from time to time. I'll just sit there and I'll just write a whole bunch. I was literally, literally trying to find a name for a friend of mine. He, he wanted a new artist name. So I wrote all these artist names out and he chose one. Um, and, and one of the ones I wrote was Elk Sonder. It was just a name for him. He didn't like that one. So cool. But I liked that one. I always looked... looked Looked it back at that when I thought he sounds a bit like a maybe a folky type artist. So I decided that you know I'm going to make that term next term all about Elk Sonder, and I'm just going to write songs as though I am a guitar picking country sort of poet type person, which is very much the first style that I was as a songwriter because I grew up listening to Cat Stevens and Bob Dylan and and Don McLean. <clears throat> That's sort of stuff my mum loved, you know. Uh, Joan Baez, whatever it is, um, all those kind of 70s, 60s type of folky artists uh, my mum listened to. So I had all those records in, and that felt like the first songwriter. When I was first writing songs, I thought I was Cat Stevens. You know, I used to look at his record cover and think I look exactly like him, even yeah. though I was this kid and he was this guy with a beard. I just thought, surely, surely he's my father. Surely my mother had an affair with Cat Stevens when he was, when he was in in Sydney, you know, before I was born, because I, I just thought I must be. <laughs> so Elk Sonder was really that person that I that was lurking inside and I've always had that folky side, but I'd never really released songs like yeah. that. So presenting into the group as Elk Sonder allowed me to dive completely into a new world and leave everything that I thought Simon Shapiro was behind. Yeah, so cool. So you're not presenting as Elk Sonder anymore? No, no. There was enough songs as Elk Sonder. I, I did that for a few terms and I was really, really And so happy. people listening in, a term is 10 weeks. So you've done that for maybe multiples oh, of 10 weeks. I probably did 20, three, 30. at least three terms as Elk Sonder, maybe more. Yeah. But what I realised is I didn't always write songs for Elk Sonder. I mm-hmm. think out of those terms, I definitely got an album's worth of material, uh, some of which are on, I put out now on just on, simply on my Instagram. So mm-hmm. Elk Sonder has an Instagram and that's all he has. And that's <laughs> all Elk Sonder's doing is just occasionally putting a one-minute snippet of one of these folky songs because that's all 
I'm ready to do as Alexandra at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that suits me for now. But occasionally a, a topic would come up, a week would come up, and my first idea was obviously not an Alexandra song because I still needed to fit into the rules of the club, which are to be inspired by the idea and go with the task. And sometimes the task led me to an idea that definitely was not Alexandra. It was just, it was Simon Shapiro mm-hmm. or... It was something else. I also write children's songs. So occasionally I write these songs that just feel like it should be, you know, someone on ABC should sing it on Play School or something. Or or uh, I've written children's albums before, so I have a, a real strong affinity with children's music. I, I do like to write songs that I might sing to my kids or, you know, other people's children that are party that they might like. It might be get them up and dancing or it might just be take them into a fairy land world. So occasionally there'd be that and then occasionally there'd, there'd be something that's just so appeal to my pop sensibility that is totally not either Simon Shapiro or Elksonda. And so who's this new artist pseudonym? So as a few more more of those evolved, and I realised I'd written songs like that since the beginning of the club, really, there were a few songs that I could never release as Simon Shapiro, just too different, I think, for me, because it just doesn't feel right. I think I attach way too much, have way too much of an idea of what I need to sound like as an artist to relax enough to release something that is so different. So uh, so Chase Pluto emerged. Uh, I don't know where I got the name Chase Pluto, but it just felt like the name of this artist. He's a lot more fun. He care, couldn't care about what people think about the song that he writes, and yet he still has a pure heart and wants to make, wants to, to write songs that uplift people. Is Chase Pluto the artist that wrote a song in parody to um, Watermelon Sugar? Yes, absolutely. Pomegranate syrup? Pomegranate syrup life. Pomegranate syrup life. Interpolation, right? Right Pomegranate there. syrup life. Oh, well, there's not a lot of interpolation in that. The mel- melodically, that actually song doesn't uh, take... Rhythmically. It's, a, it's an interesting one because it's not really a parody because I... I did base the song on Watermelon Sugar High, but I changed the melody completely and the yes. chords so that it, True. it just it just basically instead of Watermelon Sugar High, it's Pomegranate Syrup Life. Yeah. It's just completely silly. And was that Chase Pluto? Well, it was at the time it was Elk Sonder, but it was uh-huh. clearly Chase Pluto. And that song is actually what made me go, no, I need, I need a new pseudonym now. Yeah. I need a new pseudonym because that, you know, that's just too silly. Uh, and so you've been writing as Chase Pluto for, for like since then, since the beginning of the year, pretty much. Uh, like maybe maybe forty songs. I reckon. I'd say 40. so. I reckon forty songs. Yeah, I'm not sure when I changed, but it would have been. Um, the it's funny because I like to go back and look at the songs I've written throughout the whole year, and some of the songs that, that I've written this year I, I thought were last year, but it's um, so I think it might be at least six months. Yeah, under Chase Pluto now. So great. So, all right, so Simon Shapiro, Elk Sonder, Chase Pluto, mm. what does the magic of songwriting mean to you? For me, for some people I know when they listen to music, it's just about a feeling, getting up and dancing and grooving and that's what they want their music to be. For me, I feel like I like my music to fulfil multiple purposes. So for me it's also intellectual. It's also quite literal. So I love the literature in lyrics so I'm not, I don't like songs that have lyrics that don't read as either really good poetry or could read as literature. For me. Pomegranate I'm, syrup life. Sorry, exactly. No, I'm, just, I'm totally taking the piss no, right now. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. 
Uh, exactly. <laughs> it was but just such a great segue. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully even that song, like the, the lyrics of the verse, tell a bit yes. of a silly, fun story. Of course they do. So, no, you're backtracking you? it. No, I, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wouldn't I, be me if I wasn't being cheeky. No, but I, I love a simple song. Like even like the police, do 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 da 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 Okay. Mm. If it works, it works, you know. So I'm not saying that the lyrics should should Heavy be and serious. No, they no. could be really fun. They could be really simple. But I do like them to be clever, I suppose, or what seems clever to me. Yeah. So then melodically, I want something that I haven't heard before. Yeah. And then rhythmically, I want something that makes me feel the way that the song is supposed to make me feel. Whether that it's a song that makes you feel uplifted, or if it's a song that makes you stop and catch your breath, or if it's a, a if it's the, the type of rhythm that that makes you just want to lie down and float into the universe, whatever it is, I feel like every component of the song can be something special. Yeah. Not just not just a song that feels good, not just a song that has a good message, but all of those things together. My favourite songs usually have a combination of all of those things. So for me, the purpose of writing is to express myself on all those different levels. I'm expressing myself emotionally i'm delivering mm. a mo- an emotion i'm also wanting to probably elicit an, an emotion mm. i want somebody to feel something if that's the one person that hears my song that i wrote it for specifically because i wrote the song for my my dad on his birthday or whether it's uh for everyone who might hear the song uh then there's a message of the song you know i'm i'm usually wanting to deliver a message which which might be hey can we just be nicer to each other <laughs> or why don't we stop beating ourselves up or whatever the, the yeah. song might be about. There's a message that's being de- delivered. And the message might be sim- as simple as don't think too much and just have a great day. Come on. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there's, so there's beauty in that message for sure. It doesn't have to be a deep message. So, you know, back to the magic. Is there a magical element of songwriting to you that you could put words around? Does it feel magical to you? And maybe it doesn't. Songwriting feels magical to me. When I start a song, it may not always start. With magic, most of the time it does. I would say 90% of the time, whether I'm writing out of the club or if I'm writing in the club and there's, I see that task, I almost always have this thing and it's a song title that comes to me straight away or it's a catchphrase and I sing it and I go, yep, there's something there. I don't know where it came from, but it's a spark and that feels good. So there is magic to that. And then even when that doesn't happen, I go, okay, well, we're writing a song this week about G- the task this week is G-O-A-T, is goat. Mm. I go, I don't know what I'm doing there. So I just wrote the words, I just wrote them G-O-A-T out. I go, I've got nothing, got nothing, nothing here. And then I just start thinking, well, greatest of all time, that's a that's a fairly, everyone knows. You know, that's what I wrote my song about. Expression. So I'll, <laughs> I'll write that first. And then I just start thinking, what else could it mean? Yeah. So I thought, get out of town. Oh, that's cool. Mm. Um, go on, go on. A train. I started writing these other, and I started writing. Think, oh, now I'm feeling excited. Yeah. So I don't know where this is coming from, but I'm starting writing down all other phrases that G O A T might stand for, and now I'm feeling, ex- you know, I wasn't inspired at the very beginning, but just sitting down and thinking about it for a few minutes, and now I'm feeling, oh, and I started singing something that goes with that, and I feel okay. Now it's got a swing to it. Again, you don't know where I don't know where it's come from, and so it feels magical. Yeah. Whether it is magic, whether it's your my brain that is just putting all these different influences that I know together and repackaging it in a new way, well, I think there's still magic in that. If that's if that's how we could explain it scientifically, it still feels magical. Mm-hmm. But to me, sometimes it's it's a lot more than that. I have to say, sometimes 
I'm just sitting there and a complete idea is, is just there. It's completely there. So that feels magical to me. Yeah. You know? how, how can people um, who don't experience this, this idea that comes fully formed or the spark that can come from just hearing the, the new songwriting task for the week, how could people in your, you know, from where you stand and sit right now, how can people foster this? Okay. Two things. First is, like, and I've done this myself, uh, we, we did a task, uh, one of the tasks in the course uh, a while ago, I can't remember what. In it, the club or the yes, course that in you the club, oh, in sorry. the club, and I'm not sure what the task was, but uh, was it in out, in out? It oh, was yeah, I.O. I.O. Yeah, in input, out. output, yeah. I had this idea instantly of outside in, as a, uh, uh, loving someone from the outside in, because everyone talks about loving someone from, I love you from the inside out. You're beautiful from the inside out. But I thought, oh, let's reverse that, because in reality, that's not how you love people. You actually have to get through the outside first. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write a song about that, and I had this chorus that I thought is so Beatles. You know, it was inside, outside, inside, outside, and I just was there. I was actually at work, and there was a, a calendar, and it's the Beatles calendar. And I just said, I don't know what to do with this song. And I just looked at the Beatles and I said, guys, what would you do? Yeah. And I asked them, I asked them, what would you do? And I meditated on that. I go, what would you do? Okay, if I'm Paul, if I'm, if I'm George, if I'm, maybe not Ringo, if I'm um, John, John, what might I do? And then, bang, this came out, you know. Uh, obviously knowing the Beatles and loving their music, you know, yeah. that helps. <laughs> but why not ask? Why not actually ask what's next? Now, the other way, of course... Um, if you aren't prepared to give in to that, is to have a look at songwriting rather than songwriting, but look at it as song discovery. Mm. So you can imagine that there's you're on the sand and you're, you're uncovering a dinosaur. You don't know what, what the dinosaur is, but you know there's a dinosaur under there. That's your song. All there is is a little tip of something sticking out. So you could either find one bone and then pretend what you think the dinosaur is and then go and use your skills and your knowledge and go, I believe it's a pterodactyl um, based on your skills. Or you can a bit more painstakingly brush away bit by bit and find out what actually is underneath there. Now, how do we do that as a songwriter? Well, we take our idea and we, we just need to build the very next step. So if you're first, if you hit a chord and you hit a G chord and you, and you sing one note on it, then I literally sit it there and I think where where is it going next? How long can I stay on this G chord before it needs to move? Oh, I love that so question. So I stay, I stay on the G and I stay on the note and I go, when, when does the note want to move? Because if I could, the perfect song to me would be a song that doesn't change. You know, um, it's like uh, there's a song by Prince called Love Thy Will Be Done where the bass note is a D, the entire song. Mm. And it's the best bass baseline ever is just amazing so it doesn't move because it doesn't have to and everything moves around that yeah. one note so to me it's not a question of what do I do next it's like when does it need or want to shift so if you're a new songwriter play that whatever chord you do know sing whatever note you do know how to sing that feels good over this and then ask that question where does it when when does it need to move if you can sing that for a whole two bars then sing it for a whole two bars and then write a lyric over that one note, and as as you know, we've heard some very clever songs in the club where people have sat on the same melody on a note, and it doesn't sound like it. Well, that's the same. That's sometimes the guideline is like to sit on a note for yeah. longer than you normally would feel comfortable. Yeah. and that 
creates tension, that creates resolution, you know, it creates you having to get more interesting with your chords, you know, maybe using a pedal underneath all of that or maybe not. It allows you to do things that you would otherwise not do. And that's such a great question. I'm going to bring that into my next songwriting session. How long can I sit on this chord or this note before it feels like it has to change? Yeah, that's it. And and with the attitude of not when am I deciding when it needs to change, when does it feel like it wants to? Yeah. So if you yep. answering that question that you asked, so how do you know as a new songwriter um, is what to do is to, the more you do that, the more you'll get a sense for, okay, I feel like it wants to change after four beats and go to a new, but rather than just starting out down the path and going, I'm going to play a chord and then I'm going to play in four beats, I'm going to change the chord. Then in four beats, I'll change the chord. We're already imposing something very intellectual on something that doesn't need to be intellectual. So don't, don't do that. You know, um, if you're stuck, I would just simply play one chord, then leave it, leave the instrument alone, walk away and think and sing it to yourself and, and then find out where it, where it changes. Mm. Um, that's what I often do. I love it. Mm. I love that. And so you said there was two things to fostering that um, that spark or that magic or that. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, first, well, the first was to ask, was to actually to ask, ask, yes. ask your your whoever you feel like your real life could, mentors or your spiritual mentors yes or your spiritual mentors you you may have you may feel like you really align yourself with a with Bob Dylan or with Jody Taylor Mitchell, Swift or yeah. Jodie Mitchell whoever it is yeah. and ask them what ask them what would they do next yeah ask the question and because that might give you an answer yes if you love that artist enough you probably have an idea of some of the tricks that they use um I love this. This is these yeah. are just things that I would not have thought to mm. is ask the person that you um feel a connection with musically. You know, even energetically you're asking them even though they're not in the room with you. I love that. I- I'm going to try this too. Yeah, and you can I've learned so much from yeah. this. And if you're a in, in spiritual person, you could ask your guides, you know, say, "Okay, what do you want?" As you know, there's uh uh there's people in our club who are very kind of in tune with with their their self and their the their yeah. guides yeah. and they meditate and they get a song out of it. I yeah. find that amazing, but they yeah. get consistent songs out of us really allowing whatever wants to come. And I, I don't. And I, whoever wants to come. And whoever wants to come. So I don't typically do that very yeah. often because I find I've got more ideas than I can do with, like mm. ideas are constantly coming. So I'm not necessarily asking for that a lot, but sometimes I get stuck and I do. Um, and there are other times when we're talking about magic of songs, there are some times where it just feels like the song is there and it, it's coming through you rather than you have written it. It feels like someone else is singing through you. I've had experiences of- And you've just of, transcribed it or you've just, you're just bringing it into the world, into this reality. Look, I've, I sit on the piano sometimes and I go, okay, I, I, I might sound crazy, but I, I feel like someone else is playing for me. I feel like someone else is singing and it doesn't even feel like me singing and I I don't know what this is. And it's usually a song that I would not write myself, that I wouldn't think of writing. But I goes, love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just having the best time yeah. listening to you two talk about this. It, You're it not happen- crazy. No, it happened really spookily to me once with the band I was in where a fr- unfortunately a friend of ours, um, uh, he was an Australian uh, artist, uh, Troy Newman, his name was, and he um, – Unfortunately, passed away really quite young, uh, and it was only a few months after that he passed away that I was I was playing with my band, uh, just writing with my friend Otto for our band, 
And I just started playing this thing and singing. And he said, he just looked at me and goes, what's that? I said, I've got no idea. I said, and it's not me. This is what I said. I have no idea and it's not me. And, and I felt Troy's presence. I felt his presence. And it was quite odd because my Otto, who was such good friends with Troy, had gone to a, a clairvoyant, a psychic, because he was really upset about the passing of, of our friend. And she had a photo of him. Uh, she had, he showed her different photos. And one of the photos he showed her was a photo of our band. And, and this clairvoyant said that Troy was pointing at me and saying he needs to do what Troy couldn't do. It's like, wow. I've got chills. Because Troy was a great singer and songwriter. Um, and we weren't close friends at all. We were kind of rivals almost because he was another lead singer mm. in the Sydney circuit. But, I mean, I couldn't match that rivalry I was certainly on the underside of because he had a record deal and he was he was doing well, you know, and potentially at the time things could have really gone well had he not passed away so young. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I, I feel like from where I'm sitting looking at the situation, because you're so open, because you're so open, and I didn't want to sort of typecast you this from the beginning, but you are so, you're out of the box. You're like, you're not in the box. You're so out of the box in the way that you're open-minded and ready to, willing to explore and to put on different hats and T-shirts and skirts and wigs and, you know, or being playful. You know what I mean? Like just being playful without attachment to this is me, this is my ego, this is just the fun. And so I feel like because you're so open, you're able to tune into Troy and you're able to tune into what the Beatles would have said to do with this idea inside, outside or input, output. It definitely feels sometimes like something else is pushing my fingers, my hands to a chord Mm -hmm. and it definitely feels like there are... A musical Ouija board. (laughs) Yeah. That's def- just the visual I had then. It almost feels like someone else takes possession of my body and my yeah. voice and, and my and my skills and writes a song, especially with like the older fashioned ones. I've got this someone else in there who, who just feels like they're a songwriter from like the 1920s yeah. and writes these kind of really old fashioned songs. And when I'm doing it, I don't feel like me. Oh, I just, I love how willing you are to, to being, you know, open-minded about where the inspiration comes from and how you can tap into that. I think it's really, it's exciting and inspiring. Simon Shapiro, could I ask you to yes. share a song from the club oh, and yes. maybe a little bit of how that song came to be and hopefully maybe you've even picked something that had a bit of a magical sprinkling around it, you know, yeah. in, the, in the creation and the birthing of that. So. Have you chosen something? Well, yeah. The song I feel like I want to do is a song that was really life-changing for me because it came at a point when I was felt like I was having a really good year, 2020. Uh, I had been more productive than ever. I was writing a song every week in the club. I was doing my own podcast. I was doing an episode every week. I was doing a lot of things. Um, I was preparing my first novel to be released. I was doing all these really great, great things. And then the, the, the task came up, which was basically to identify something, a block in your songwriting. And I realized the biggest block that I had was actually nothing to do with songwriting itself because I felt quite free. I felt quite free to write different styles and to be really open. And so I thought I don't have any blocks. But then a few days later it occurred to me that my big block is sharing what I do because I hadn't released anything for a long time. You know, more than 10 years I hadn't released a a song of my own uh, as a solo artist and just spent my whole time as everybody else's wingman really. And so I wrote this song and I made a promise to the club at the time 
I'm breaking that. I'm going to release this song. Whatever song I write this week, I'm going to release it as a single. And I did do that. I released the song maybe a few months later in 2021, I think less than six months after I wrote it. So I kept that promise because I made the promise to the club. So it was groundbreaking. I was finding all these excuses not to release music and that task really forced me into a corner and a good corner. So the song itself is called Graceless. And at the time, the world was going through uh, turmoil of a different type to what we're going through now. Uh, A lot of political figures were acting like children, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions, I think. And so I was inspired uh, by a political race that was very, very uh, famous at the uh, end of 2020 going uh, on there in the world without naming the person that it's about. is about a person, a world leader, who basically was voted out of their post and left in a less than graceless fashion. And I felt they deserved a song. But I also felt they didn't deserve to be named in the song because <laughs> I didn't want to add to the... Uh, the legend of their name. It's available everywhere. Any sort of DSP that you listen to, it's all the streaming services, the, yeah. the typical music stores, uh, YouTube. There's a film clip. I did an animated film clip to this one. Uh, so Graceless is on my YouTube channel and, uh, and, and everywhere else that you find music. Here he is, Simon Shapiro, performing live at iHeart Songwriting Club headquarters. This song is called Graceless. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Simon. That um, that chorus, you know, I've heard this song a couple of times, obviously, because I heard it in the club and then I've heard it when you released it and celebrated the release with you. But that chorus and you you launch in with the chorus and I really love a song that dares to launch, dares to launch in. Yeah, you, you go straight in with that chorus. Was that an intentional choice for you? Oh, it certainly was. I'm very, for me, song structure is a really important part of the song that I think as a writer I put a lot of time into. And some songs really need to start with the, the chorus. Others, it's more important to get to that point. But I think in this one I wanted to deliver it straight away. Bang, this is what I'm talking about. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I think, again, um, a lot of people write based on intuition but then coupling that with the skill coupling that with the skill. So there's the balance of the two. You know, we've got the spark of the idea, but then how can I then craft around that intuitive idea that comes? And I feel like, you know, next time we go into a songwriting edit, perhaps, what would it feel like to put the chorus up front? Does it offer any value? What does it make the listener feel by the time they come to the second round of that chorus? Is there a knowing? Is there a a relationship to that chorus that's different based on the verse that's come between it? And if not, then, you know, we can build that chorus. I think just a great opportunity to to look at the ways that songs are structured. And, yeah, the irony is that you're quite graceful in singing a song about being graceless. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, hopefully that's the point is of which side I, I sit on the debate, I guess. But a chorus has multiple purposes. It, it, it is there, obviously, to sum up the song, but I think a, a really good chorus can evolve as the song develops. So, as you say, the first time you hear it, it's there, but then the next time it comes, has it evolved in some way? And so there's no reason you can't start with a chorus. Sometimes a chorus would sound out of place at the start of a song because there's no, you haven't built up to it and it's, you haven't de- delivered enough that makes sense. Yeah, to, there's to no make reference. That, yeah, to make that statement. Uh, so in this particular song, I just felt like it was a, a, I also was quite conscious of the time of the song and wanting it to be, if I didn't start with a chorus, I basically would have to have started with a verse and it, it allowed me to get another chorus in. So yeah. in the time of, of what I felt like the song should be, not too much more than three minutes, I could fit an extra chorus in by starting with the chorus. You deliver the hook and you deliver the title in the very first mm-hmm. second um, no, actually, past the guitar motive. I think that's something I learned. The first song I released this year, um, 2020 Vision, I've got a really long intro on it. And it wasn't until after I released it that I realised, you know, right now in 2022, you don't want long intros for for a pop song. And this does fit in the pop genre, a different genre, completely different. If this is a, a an indie folk song, you can have a minute long intro. But if you're, you're hoping to get any sort of, you know, purchase on this song in for in the world, I think you need to have uh, some, something at the start that hooks people in. It doesn't have to be the chorus. It, it could be a hook. But people probably aren't going to listen to a minute long intro uh, to a pop song. Thank you so much for sharing so much with us today. That was a really in-depth and exciting conversation. I love that we went in all the places that we went to. But before we finish up, I'd love for people to be able to continue to listen to the work that you're doing. So I know that you're already on streaming sites and people can check you out at Simon Shapiro, but where else would you like people to go to? Is there a website? Is there a social media preference? Or And give your podcast a plug, please. Uh, well, 
all of those things are available on the podcast is you can see that on my YouTube channel. You, you would find that if you just Googled Simon Shapiro YouTube, you would find yep. my channel. I think there's, there is another Simon Shapiro musician, but he's a, uh, uh, accordion player in New York. I think you would realize that he wasn't me and Looking really for the Aussie accent here. <laughs> that's correct. So it depends on the platform and the way that you love to listen to music. You know, mm. uh, I think these days we're, available out there everywhere so that people can access it in the way that they choose to. Yeah. Keep your eye out for, ear out for Chase Pluto, who will be making uh, his debut into the world pretty soon. Wow. I'm so excited for what Chase Pluto is going to share with the world. Of course, I've heard it first. What an honour. What an honour and a joy. I think you'll like the first song, actually, Francesca. Mm, Mm, Okay. I I think you will. Is it a song that we've mentioned I think today? It, no, but I think it speaks to your heart, definitely. Okay, thank mm. you. That's that's um, that's something more to even look forward to. And also, if anyone would like to receive some amazing feedback and mentorship from Simon Shapiro, um, join the I Heart Songwriting Club beginner songwriting course and you may be lucky enough to have Simon as your mentor or one of the other amazing songwriting mentors that we have as part of the course. So if you're just starting out on your journey and maybe you're a little unsure of what steps to take, you'll get some lessons from me and you may get mentorship from Simon, as I said, or one of the other amazing songwriters. And if you have a preference for Simon, just send me an email and I'll make sure I hook you up with Simon. Thank you so much, Simon. What a joy and an honour. I appreciate everything that you shared with us and I look forward to sharing more about you with the world. Thank you. It was a great conversation. It was wonderful to be here and I love IHSC and being a part of it and it's going to continue on to the next 104 songs and beyond. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Thank you for listening. It's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. To help others connect with the magic of songwriting, we'd love it if you'd take a moment to rate or review our podcast or share it with anyone you think would benefit from it. And if you want to find your community of songwriters, visit us at iheartsongwritingclub.com and let us help you reconnect with the magic of songwriting. 